Thanks so much. It's wonderful being here. If you guys have the, I think there's a title slide that you can put up. But before, uh, before I start preaching this morning, I just wanted to quickly introduce myself because I feel like Estian did a poor job. No, I'm <laughs> not that bad. Um, but my name's Leonard. I'm from Stellenbosch. I've been there for the last, I would say, probably six or seven years. I can't remember exactly. I'm the husband of one wife. And yes. <laughs> And I've got three beautiful little daughters at home, um, twins that are two and a half years old now, and then a three-month-old little one uh, called Ellie. And we've got the three-month-old not because we are brave, but because we are bad planners. That's, <laughs> that's how that happened. But, uh, but yeah, but my wife can't be here this morning. Unfortunately, it's just too difficult with having to spend, just wanting to spend time with Estian afterwards and nap times and still preaching this evening and going to church, uh, just things in our lives are a little bit chaotic at the moment, but we love it. We wouldn't have it any other way because it's an adventure following Jesus, and so that's the way that we want to live. All right, so that's me, and then this morning, I'm really excited to actually be here and to come and preach. I don't know if you can put me a little bit softer. I feel like uh, just, just a tad bit, um, but I'm, is that very good? I mean... <laughs> I'm really, I'm really excited actually to be here this morning because I do feel like I, I have a sense that God wants to come and do something. And again, you guys don't know me well. It's the first time in a couple of years that I'm preaching here. I think I preached here, oh, it was before I went to Stellenbosch, if I'm not mistaken. So it was probably seven or eight years ago that I preached here. And so it's a privilege to, to be able to speak in again and just to see what God is doing, speaking to Estian a lot and really having a sense that God wants to come and do something significant in you guys as a group. So the title is up there. I'm going to speak about lukewarm and loving it. And that sounds like a bit of an oxymoron because if we are Christians, we think that, yes, when I'm lukewarm, surely I'm not going to love it. Surely I'm going to be appalled by my life and, and think that, that that is not a pleasing thing to God. But I'm here this morning to show you out of the Bible, we're going to read through a portion in Revelation 3 in a moment, and I'm going to preach through that. I really believe that, that what can happen to us as Christians is that we can be lukewarm, but not know it. And because we don't know it, we love it. We carry on with our lives. We think that we are pleasing God, but when God looks at us, he's got a different opinion of us than we have of ourselves. And the difficult thing with this is all of us are probably sitting here and those of us are, who, are, who are maybe lukewarm do not know that we are lukewarm. That's the problem with being lukewarm. I want to show you out of Scripture that you don't know when you're lukewarm. And so if you've got your Bible, you are welcome to turn with me to Revelation 3, verse 14 to 19. Otherwise, you can look on the board. Otherwise, you can go sit next to a Christian, and you'll find a Bible there. <laughs> but this is specifically... We've got a board, we've got technology, so that's fine. But this is a really phenomenal scripture in the Bible, a piece of scripture in the Bible. We see in the beginning of the book of Revelation that Jesus comes, and this is the incarnate Jesus. It's after he's risen, he's in heaven, and he speaks to the apostle John, and he specifically writes letters to seven churches during the early phase of Christianity. And this is the last church that he speaks to, it's the church in Laodicea, and he's got a stark warning for them. And all of you would have heard this. It is, it is the warning not to be lukewarm. But I really want to actually dig into this passage and, and show us that I believe that although it was for a church many years ago, I think that when God speaks to you this morning, and I'm hoping that even prophetically it, it might be something that I'm picking up in the Lord, that God wants to come and he wants to speak into you and say, likewise, this morning, 
my church, I do not want you to be a lukewarm church. So we're going to get into it, but before we get to that passage in Revelation 3, I, I want to start by saying that many years ago, one of, the, one of the, the guys at the Bible school that I was at, he encouraged us to open up our Bibles and in the front of our Bibles to write down the names of all the people that we know that are really passionate for the Lord and that are following Him wholeheartedly. And so I opened up, you know in your Bible you've got that front part where there's nothing written there, and I just wrote a bunch of names. I basically filled the pages. And he said to us, this was a challenge from his side, he said, now go back in a year, in two years, in five years, in ten years, go back to those names and ask yourself, who of these people are still serving the Lord wholeheartedly? And I did that as a young 19, 20-year-old. I've lost that Bible. Actually, I know where it is. I must just go find it. It's with someone in George. But year by year, I would go back to that Bible, I would go look, and it was surprising how every year that went by, names started falling off that list of people who have fallen off of the bandwagon of their Christianity. And it's really easy for us to start off as Christians and think, I will never be like that. I will never be one of those that the devil creeps into my life and I fall off the bandwagon. But I want to say that it really is possible. And when we think of falling off the bandwagon, losing our Christianity, losing our faith, I think we think so radically about it. We think of, of the, the, the names of the ministers who fall into sexual immorality. We think of a, a Mike Bickle at the moment in the United States who is being, who is being uh, looked into for sexual immorality charges. We think of, in South Africa, close to where you guys are, what's the guy that was at N1 City? Um, I actually wrote down his name here. Uh, yes, Paul Daniels, we think of those names and we think that's what it looks like when I fall. That is what it's probably going to look like if the devil gets a foothold into my life. And I want to tell you out of Revelation 3, I think there's an even more dangerous and an even more subtle and an even more clever way that the devil wants to come into my life and he wants to come into your life. And it is that he wants to make us lukewarm. So let's read Revelation 3 verse 14 to 16. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, now firstly, let me just stop there for a moment. He's writing to a church and not an individual. So when God looks at this church, yes, he wants every individual not to fall into a, a life of lukewarmness, but he's looking for a church that is warm. And that happens when every individual is warm in their faith. And so the vision is not for you to take this home. The vision is for you to come into church and say, firstly, my life needs to be a warm life for Jesus. Secondly, God wants a warm church, so my responsibility is to get every other person around me warm for Jesus. Because he's writing to a church, he's not writing to an individual. Says this, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus says to this church, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. With that, you are either cold or hot. Now, just pause here for a moment. Jesus is more okay with you being cold than he is with you being lukewarm. He says, rather pick one. But if you're in the middle, that despises me. And he's going to say in a moment, I will spit you out, vomit you out. I, will, I, I don't want you near me. I don't want lukewarmness. Now, I want to show you why this is such an important thing to God. But he says, were you either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
none of us want to be spat out of the mouth of Jesus. I always think of Peter. And I think of Peter, who was the one where Jesus looked to him and he said to him, get behind me, Satan. And I think, imagine Jesus calling you Satan. That wouldn't be a nice thought, eh? Jesus calls you Satan. Likewise, I don't want to ever be called Satan by going against Jesus. Likewise, I never want to be the one that Jesus spits out of his mouth because he says your life is despising to me. And I don't want to be part of a church where Jesus says, listen, if you carry on like this, I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't want to be part of that. So Jesus, he draws a line in the sand and he says, this is not the type of church that I want. And for these people in Laodicea, this was a really emotional thing for us because we can hear this intellectually, but we don't always understand it. And so in the town that they lived, Laodicea, on the other side of the river, there was a town called Hierapolis. And there was, there was warm water, these warm water springs, and it was full of minerals. And that water would flow down, and by the time that it got to Laodicea, it was initially warm. By that time, it was lukewarm. I don't know if you've ever tried to drink warm or lukewarm water. It's not great. You leave your bottle of water in the car, you think, I'm so thirsty, I just want to have a sip. And you have a sip, and it's just really not nice. Now, for them, it was even worse because it had a very distinct mineral smell to it that when you try to drink it, you would, it would cause you to vomit. So Jesus is coming to these people, and he doesn't just want it to be head knowledge. He wants to come into the experience, and he wants to say, listen, the way that you feel about that water, that is the way that I feel about you if you actually fall into a pattern of being lukewarm. And so obviously, that's not what we want. And there's, uh, there's this really interesting book called The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if any of you have ever read it by C.S. Lewis. And uh, from what I remember, there are, there's one of these characters called Screwtape. And it's basically giving us an insight into how the devil looks at Christians and how he wants to cause Christians to compromise. And I want to read you just a small little quote by Screwtape where he exposes the plan of the devil He says, a moderate religion is as good for us as no religion at all. Let me just read that to you again, because I think that is the trap that God is warning us against. A moderate religion is as good for us as demons as no religion at all. And so God wants us firstly, before I move on with this passage, firstly wants us to stand still and realize how dangerous it is. Now, none of you are lukewarm, I know that. We'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> none of us are there, but firstly, before you look at your own life, just acknowledge the fact that a lukewarm religion is as bad as no religion at all. And I want to advocate this morning that I think a lukewarm religion is even worse than no religion at all. Because I think it's even more difficult to get in there because you don't know that you've got a problem. So, there is this problem. Now I'm going to go to Revelation 3 verse 17 and, and read the next scripture to you because now we firstly we see the problem. I think what happens in this passage is the problem goes from an objective thing that we look at, it turns and the Bible speaks to us. And you do know that the Bible needs to speak to you. The Bible is not just something that we learn intellectually. It's not something that we, that we just read for the sake of gaining more knowledge. We are to open up the Bible, and it is to be, according to the Bible, like a sword that would cut our hearts. And so what the Bible is doing and what God is doing in there, and because the Bible 
is the word of God, I believe that he wants to do that same thing with us this morning, here. It says, okay, I've told you the danger, but now I want to turn it and I want to direct it at your heart and I want you to see whether this problem is really in you. And so I want to actually ask you this morning, if you would open up your heart and not be proud and not be arrogant, none of us, all of us, to not come with a prideful heart, but to say, Lord, if this is in me, it is like a thing of blindness. Won't you show it to me? You know what lukewarmness is? Anyone here like garlic? Some of you. <laughs> I love garlic. Sometimes. Absolutely love it. You know what the problem with garlic is? When there's garlic somewhere, the only way that I can eat it is if I convince my wife to have some of it as well. Otherwise, she does not want to come near me. She doesn't want to sleep in the same bed as me. And so there's this negotiation. We've come to a point of saying either both of us eat it or none of us eat it. <laughs> Otherwise, it's horrible. All of us have been around a person who's eaten garlic and you have not eaten garlic. Anyone here? Don't point fingers. Don't look around. <laughs> but all of us have been there. But if you, so, so here's the thing with eating garlic. If I've eaten garlic and Jeff has eaten garlic, we don't smell each other's stench. But if I haven't eaten garlic and Jeff has eaten garlic, I smell it from a mile away. Some of us have more sensitive noses than, the, than others, right? That is the exact same thing with lukewarmness. Lukewarm people cannot see the lukewarmness in other people. It's only those who are on fire can look around and say, man, you're missing something. But we are blind to our own thing. You don't smell your own breath. Have you thought about that? Your mouth is how far away from your nose. Just this far away. But you cannot smell your own breath in the same way we cannot see our own problems. We cannot see our own lukewarmness. It's only those around us that can pick it up. And it's only God that can come and speak into our hearts and say, although you do not smell it, I smell it. Although you do not think it, I think it. And so let's go to this passage, Revelation 3.19. It starts with this, three words. Maybe if you... No, you don't have to say it with me. You're not students. <laughs> you are students of the word, students of Jesus. <laughs> it says in Revelation 3 verse 19, it says, no, the previous one, if you can, yeah, 17, sorry, did I say 19? It says, for you say, maybe you can say it with me, one, two, three, for you say, no, that you don't have to say. <laughs> I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. And then it says, basically God says, you say, but I say that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, we can have one opinion of ourselves, but God can come and he says, because I see directly into your heart, I have a different opinion of you. We can think that we are not lukewarm, but God can look at us and God can say, you think that, but I think differently. And that is the absolute danger of not allowing God into your heart, not allowing God to convict you, not reading the scriptures with an open heart, not allowing people to speak into your life, because you are your own worst enemy. And most of us trust ourselves way too much, and we think we're in a much better space than we really are. I'm going to read you Hebrews 3 verse 12. It says, take care, brethren. What translation? Brothers. I've got, I don't know what I've got here. That's a better. ESV is the one that Jesus read, so this is much better. 
It says, <laughs> it says, take care, brothers. Now, if someone writes the Bible and he says, take care, brothers, is he referring to unbelievers or believers? He's referring to believers. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The Bible is full of these warnings to say, even though you are a Christian, take care. Because you could be led astray into a moderate religion without even realizing it. And so it's full of, the Bible is really actually so full of it. I, my, my wife has a sister, and just a while ago, they've got two beautiful little children, and we are their godparents. So is that it? Yeah, godparents, if they die, we look after them. They give us money, and we look after them. <laughs> we need the money part as well. <laughs> we find a different house. We don't have space, all of those things, but we trust it doesn't happen. And we, we love them. And a, a while ago, my sister-in-law, she came to visit our house, and as she was walking to our house, I, I saw her coming up the hill. We live on, on just a bit of an incline, and she came to our house, and as she wanted to walk and just drop off a little package, they, they live literally a stone's throw away from us, maybe 300 meters. And as she came up the hill, I saw that she wasn't looking her best, and, and she came to our door, and I had to catch her, and we don't have that type of relationship. So I had to catch her and lay her down on the couch, and... And I just, like, something is not right here in her life. And I wasn't sure, or in her health, something was not, was not 100%. And I tried to speak to her about it, but she sort of waved it away. She's a quite a strong woman, and she always wants to just go for the next thing. And I'm like, Nicola, something is not right here. You have to have your health checked out. And through my sister, I heard that two, three months before that, she was sitting in the house. And as she was sitting in the house speaking to her, her mother-in-law, her, her husband's father, m mother, <laughs> She, for about 10 minutes, just could not speak suddenly. She couldn't speak. She couldn't find the words, and she just sat there. So there was telltale signs that something was really up. And so she started having these migraines, or she's had these migraines for, for a long while. And eventually she went to a doctor that specializes in these migraines, and she was able to really, the doctor was able to really have a look. And it was suggested that she, she went for an MRI. Eventually, after long after she kept having these episodes, she went for an MRI. And as she went for the MRI, they found little spots on her brain, which is, she is about, I think she's 36 years old, two young children, perfect health, successful woman. And so this was quite a shock to all of us. We got such a fright, and the doctor said, come back six months later, we want to have a look. And so six months later, went for another MRI, and what they found is that one of these tumors that they found on her brain had actually shrunk. And so for, for me, I don't know anything about medicine. That seems like a really good thing, but the doctor said it's, it's not a good thing because we thought we knew what it was. Now we have no clue what it actually is. It's not supposed to shrink, the thing that we thought. So they sent her a couple of things that it could potentially be. And she, she was due to go for an operation on the Friday. In two weeks' time, she got an emergency operation so that they can do a biopsy on her brain. Basically, open up her brain, take out this tumor, find out, 36 years old, and this was quite scary to us, and so my wife started wrestling with this thing, like, we need to speak to her about Jesus, because they call themselves Christians, that's the point that I want to get to, they've got an opinion of themselves, but we looking in from the outside, I see it, and I know that I know that I know that God has got a different opinion, 
I know that at some point there was a relationship with God. At some point she got baptized. At some point they were involved with church and they really gave themselves. But at some point things started slipping away and hurt came into her life. And so we really felt an urgency to go speak to her. To make a long story short, that week she got really sick and she, she couldn't stop coughing. Went to the doctor once, went to the doctor twice, went to the doctor a third time and eventually said, please just do an x-ray on my chest because I can't go for a brain operation if something is still wrong in my chest. And as they looked at her, they found that her heart was really not in a good space. Her heart had enlarged. Some of the arteries leading into her heart were also not what they were supposed to, to, do, to be. And so they booked her in immediately. They said, you're not going home. You're staying here in Somerset West um, in this hospital. And we're taking you straight to, um, to the, not the emergency room, the ICU. Booked straight into the ICU. And so they canceled. That was on the Wednesday. They canceled her brain operation for the Friday. And she had to stay, stay in. That Monday, they operated. They did open heart surgery on her. And they found that there was something in her heart. It was basically 15 centimeters, and it went from one heart room, heart or heart chamber, to the other, and it would literally flop up and down. And so what they realized is most probably the thing in her heart was actually what dislodged and, went and got stuck in her brain. It could cause her to die at any moment. And so, so, so they had to take this thing out. So just rewind a little bit. We went to, my wife went to my sister-in-law, and, and she said, listen, I, I need to get to her because she is lukewarm. In fact, I don't even know if she knows the Lord anymore. And so eventually I said, okay, I'll look after the children. Al, I look after their children so that you can just go and her husband can go with you. And so she went to the hospital. And my sister obviously loves her sister so dearly. And she went to sit with her sister. And it was, you know, sometimes, who knows that when you speak to family about Jesus, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult than speaking to a stranger. <laughs> Just the older sister we went to her and she, she spoke to her about Jesus and really reached out to her. And I wish I could tell you that there's a happy ending to the story, but basically the re reply that she got is she said, I think I'll be okay. I think I'll be okay. If I die now, I've got peace. I think I'll be okay. But I know that I know, you get the garlic illustration here. I know that I know that when I look at her life, that she is not where Jesus wants her to be. And the difficult thing with a lukewarm heart is that it is so impenetrable. It is so impenetrable because you think that you are okay when actually you are not. And so I just wanna, I wanna appeal to you this morning to say that I know some of you have maybe not slipped as far away as that, but God is calling us to a totally different life. God is calling us to a life that has lived fully for him, where nothing else in this world matters, where it is only Jesus and his kingdom that is your highest and utmost priority. And what we need to come to a point is to say, Lord, if you've got an opinion of me, I want that same opinion so that I can change, so that I will not stay this way. And so I'm hoping this morning with me that you'll see the problem, but that you'll just allow God, I'm going to go through a couple of questions now, but that you'll allow God and that you'll actually ask God, Lord, if that is me, if you've got a different opinion, please let me not be like that. Let me not be impenetrable. Because as much as my sister-in-law's life was at danger, I want to say your life is at danger as well. You think that you can go on forever, but we need to come to a point of urgency to say, Lord, now is the time that I need to change. So I'm, I want to go through a couple of questions, but I'm just going to pray for us quickly. Lord, I just pray for our hearts this morning. Pray for each of us sitting here, Lord. I pray that you would help us to come with humility before your throne of grace this morning. 
I pray that you would help us to open our hearts wide and to know your thoughts about us. I pray that if we've told ourselves this lie so many times, that we are okay, my Christianity is okay, I'm doing well enough, but if you've got a different opinion, I pray that you would speak into our hearts now and that you would give us a vision for the life that you call us to live. Pray for your conviction, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I want to give you a couple of questions to actually go think through, but these are Bible questions because I think this is the, the, the vision that the Bible is putting in front of us. And these are questions that I want you to answer, not to me, but to God. Because if the Bible asks it, it is God asking it to you. How are you doing in these areas? And so we just, we're going to go through them. And if you want to write them down, you're more than welcome. Otherwise, Estian can send it to you at some point on a group or something. But I want to ask you to do to, to business with God now as we go through this questions, these questions. The first question from the Bible to evaluate your heart is, are you actively fighting sin at your, in your life at this moment? Actively fighting sin. Dan Barnard came to preach in Stellenbosch just a few weeks ago, and he asked this amazing question. He said, what sin are you dealing with in your life today? Not vaguely today. Because there's always something that we need to grow in. There's always an area in which we can get closer to Jesus but we treat sin only as those big things. But when we are close to God, when we are warm for the Lord, our hearts are soft and tender and we are made aware of our sin and we are constantly trying to beat our bodies into submission and come closer to the Lord. So the question is, how is your sin radar at the moment, basically? How is your sin radar? Are you actively aware of sin in your life or are you not? And this sounds so counterintuitive to the gospel that gets preached to us nowadays. Nowadays, you need to feel good about yourself, but I say that feeling bad about yourself is many times the best thing that can ever happen to you. <laughs> Not bad to a point of running away from God, but a point of running towards God. That is godly conviction. And so where is your sin radar? Are you aware? Are you actively working on things in your life? If not, you might have slipped into a place of moderate Christianity into a place of lukewarmness. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22 says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Second question, are you regularly spending time with the Lord? Uh, Matthew 4 verse 4 says, but Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is very clear that your sustenance in your relationship with God, because bread is sustenance, the only thing that keeps you alive spiritually is to come before the Lord. And so I know what it's like to struggle to spend time with, with the Lord. You know, especially as winter creeps in, it's, uh, it's what do they call it, Club Duvet and DJ Pillow <laughs> call you in. It's the spirit of the duvet that just wants to pull you in. And it's really so difficult. And there is there are genuine difficulties many times to get before the Lord and get before Him with an earnest heart. But we, there is never an excuse. The biggest excuse in my life has been twins. And many times it's really caused me not to get before the Lord. And I've fallen into a place of lukewarmness. And again and again, I need to reevaluate my heart, come to these scriptures and say, Lord, spending time with you should be my highest priority. So where are you with that? Are you still spending time with the Lord regularly? 
multiple times a week? Are you still doing that? Are you regularly reading the Bible? 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 to 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is the vision of the Bible. It actually, if I, if I read that first part, it is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction. If we are in the Bible, we will be convicted to become more like Jesus. And so have you lost your desire for the Bible? You know, it is the most difficult thing to get your, yourself back to a place of like enjoying it if you fall into a place of lukewarmness. But it's like exercise. I've got a dad bod now. You wouldn't see it because I'm pulling in my tummy the whole time as I'm preaching. <laughs> the most difficult thing is to start exercise. Once you start, normally you enjoy it. Most, most people. <laughs> Not everyone. Most people. But to get yourself there is the most difficult part. It's like a car that's standing still. To push it, to get it, to get momentum is the most difficult part. Once you've got momentum, it's more easy. It's easier. So I want to ask you, are you like that still standing car where it's even difficult to get into the Word of God? I need to go through these things quickly. Um, fourth question. I've got about six or seven. Is your heart and body regular attending, regularly attending church? <laughs> I should say your body and your heart regularly attending church. Both of those. You know the story of the little boy that goes to the dentist. You know the story, any of you, okay. Little boy goes to the dentist, and he doesn't want to go to the dentist. He hates it, he despises it. He doesn't even want to brush his teeth. I know the struggle with little children. And so the mom forces him, you will go to the dentist, eventually get to the dentist, and the dentist tries every tactic. He says, I'll give you a lollipop, I'll tell your mom only to bring you in a year, not six months, everything. He's trying, he's trying every tactic. Eventually, the little boy goes, and he sits in the chair, and the, the, the doctor tells him, okay, now lay down, and he says to him, sir, I want you to know that my body may, might be down, but my heart is standing up. <laughs> that is the danger. That's why I differentiate. Firstly, you need to go get your body here to get your heart here, I mean? Your bum needs to be here for your heart to be here. It's a really good practice to regularly attend church. And church can get dull if your heart is dull. But if your heart is not dull, if your heart is on fire for the Lord, then the worship team can do what they want, but you can still be in God's presence. The preaching can be horrible, like even when Estian preaches. <laughs> I'm joking. And you can still connect with the Lord. Those things do not matter because your heart is on fire for the Lord and you are with the people of God. So I want to ask you, is it, is it a regular thing that you prioritize coming here? that you prioritize community, that you prioritize getting to the people of God on a regular basis, or is that difficult for you? Because if it's difficult, you might be lukewarm. Secondly, don't only bring your body here, but bring your heart here. Really bring your everything. When you are here, be open to the Lord's work. Um, the fifth question is, are you enjoying God and church? Are you enjoying God and church? Basically the same as the previous question. Romans 12, 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That is the way that he wants us to serve him. Next question. Are you actively reaching out to unsaved people? Are you doing that? 
I'm not going to read this. You can go read in Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, where the Bible says that we are a light to the world. That is what we are supposed to be. In our DNA as Christians, we are to be a light to the world. And the longer we get saved, many times, the more all of our friends are only Christians and are only in the church. But if I understand the love of God for me, if my heart is warm again, I'm saying I'm, I'm laboring this point, if my heart is warm towards the Lord, my heart will break for the things that breaks the heart of God. And that is always for people who do not know him. And so my question is, is your heart still burning for Weinberg? Is it burning for the places where you work, the people there? Is it burning for your family who do not know him? Are you still actively praying for them, seeking opportunity to speak to them, to invite them to church? Or have you become lukewarm in that area? Now, I don't have authority to speak into you guys besides the fact that I'm an elder in Josh Jane. And I'm, I'm not here on a regular basis, but I, I want to take a moment to speak to something that I would, have, I would have spoken to my church about. It's this little thing here. <laughs> so forgive me if I'm stepping on toes now. But the Bible teaches us that the early church, that people were saved daily. It was added to their number daily, those who were being saved. And so when I look at the church and I put a vision out for myself of what should be an on-fire church that is not lukewarm, I think there should be daily salvations. I think there should be regular salvations in the life of the church. And salvations will only happen if the unsaved actually come to church. <laughs> and so I want to encourage you, this morning there are no first-time visitors here. There might be second or third times, and, and this is not for you. Many of these things are not for you, please. I'm not trying to speak to you, but I'm speaking to those who are calling this your home. I want to say, if we want to see this coming into the church, if we want to be a church that is not lukewarm, we need to be actively even bringing people here to slot in with us, to hear the gospel. And I want to challenge, I don't know the elders, but we need to also then regularly throw out the net on a Sunday and say, if you are here and you do not know Jesus, then come, get to know him. We've got a responsibility as elders, but for all of us, we've got a responsibility to say, come with me to experience the church of God. Are you Okay. <laughs> Like, all right. Okay. And last question, and I think Estian touched on this brilliantly this morning. Is your bank account reflecting your relationship with God? Is it reflecting that? Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break and steal. And listen to this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. If I had to take a statement of your bank account, the question is, can I see that you are a Christian? It, you are supposed to see that by someone's bank account. The best way to see it is probably your tithe. The second best way to see is how many coffees you buy. You know, because we should be in each other's lives. At least in Stellenbosch, that's a culture. It's just an example. But your bank account really does actually reflect what is happening in your heart. If you pull a statement and you were to say, what does this say about my heart? Because that's what the Bible says. Is it saying that you are a Christian who really loves the Lord? Or have you only become comfortable in your Christianity? Now, some of us can even pay our tithe and become comfortable with that because I've done my bit and I can just sit back and relax. But it is supposed to reflect in our finances and every aspect of our finances. How much are you giving to the poor? 
How much are you sowing into other people's lives? How much of your money are you investing to being with the people of God actually? How much of your petrol money is going to driving to community, to church, to people? It should be reflected. I sat with a guy a while ago, buff guy in our church. And I said to him, if I had to pull your bank account, do you think I'd be able to see that you love the gym? <laughs> the answer is yes. I pay my gym fees. I buy my, st- um, not, um, <laughs> I buy my supplements. What are you thinking? <laughs> it's a Christian, guys. I buy my supplements. I drive to the gym. You will see it. Now, the question is, if you love God, surely you should be able to see it in your bank account. Or your finances, or are you holding on to your finances? So I'm really hoping some of these questions, if we humble enough, I think all of us will be cut by this, these questions. I'm cut. And I'm realizing that there are areas in my life where I'm drifting into nominal Christianity. But we are to repent. Let's go to the end of this, Revelation 3, verse 18 to 19. This is, so Jesus says, there's a problem. Then he says, you are the problem. And then he says, here is the solution. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire. Gold refined by the fire is if you want the impurities in gold to come up, you turn up the heat. Jesus is saying, allow me to turn up the heat in your life to, to, for the impurities to, to surface so that you may be rich, truly rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself um, and the shame of your nakedness and may, may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And then he ends with this beautiful scripture that I want to end with today as well. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. God loves you as a church. He loves you as an individual. And because he loves you, he wants to come and cut your heart this morning. Not through my words, but through the scriptures. He wants to come cut your heart and he wants to show you because the best thing that he can do for you is to show you that you are lukewarm if you've drifted into lukewarmness. It's the best thing. He does it out of his love. And our response is, from the Bible, be zealous and repent. Repentance means, Lord, I see it, I turn with my heart, and I walk in the other direction. That is repentance. It is if you have been convicted by any of these scriptures, any of these questions this morning, it is to say, Lord, I will change right now by standing and and saying, Lord, please forgive me, But today, still, I will make an active effort to change this thing in my life, to start following you zealously and wholeheartedly.